If you look at where I sleep, she says, you'd think I wasn't a Kenyan citizen. You'd think I was a refugee. China-backed expressway controversy. It's Thursday, December 30th, and this is VOA Asia. I'm Chris Cascale in Washington. Find us online at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, analyzing the U.S.-Afghanistan withdrawal, Chinese political asylum seekers, the year in U.S. diplomacy, electric motorcycle partnership, technology disrupts art world. It's all on today's VOA Asia. Rights groups in Kenya are pushing authorities to resettle tens of thousands of squatters evicted before the holidays to make way for a Chinese-backed expressway. Brenda Molinia reports for VOA from Nairobi. Kenyan Lucy Wangare in her 40s cleans a makeshift tent that has provided her family flimsy shelter since October when Nairobi city authorities evicted them from their home of almost two decades. She, her husband and her sister spend the holiday season living in the tent enduring cold and wet nights. City authorities evicted more than 40,000 squatters like Wangari from Mukuru Kwanjenga Slam and raised their homes to make way for construction of the Nairobi Expressway. What is left of the Mukuru Slam looks like a wasteland with scores of makeshift tents forming a small island. Authorities gave them just days notice to vacate their homes, says Wangari. Zetu. If you look at where I sleep, she says, you'd think I wasn't a Kenyan citizen. You'd think I was a refugee. Wangare says they used to have property in houses, but right now they've been left destitute. She blames Kenya's government. The half a billion dollars elevated expressway aims to ease Nairobi's notorious traffic by connecting the main international airport to the city center and the wealthy suburbs. The Chinese state-owned China Road and Bridge Corporation is building and financing the expressway, which should be working in 2022 and will collect the tolls for nearly three decades. Despite critics calling it a road for the rich, Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta defended the project while taking a tour of it the day before Christmas. The difference that is being occasioned by the road building, by the drainage being put in, by the sewage being put in, I do believe that within another two years, Nairobi will be a truly 21st century city catering for its population in a positive manner and in a manner befitting our people. But Kenyan right activists fought the government for not striking a balance between the need for infrastructure and human dignity for those evicted. 25-year-old Anami Daudi is with the Mukuru Community Justice Center. It's so traumatizing. People are, are having mental issues here. Uh, we have other special challenges here. They should uh, get like special attention. But you find out that even the facilities that we have around, they can't maybe even accommodate or maybe to create that space uh, to provide such services. <laughs> The single squatters left homeless like 38-year-old Pauline Gedoni struggle with security fears. It's very dangerous to spend the night here, she says, especially for us women. Gadoni says the men can defend themselves if attacked, but she can't fight anybody. If someone attacks me and steals my property, tells me to leave, she says, I will have no choice but to obey them. City authorities promises to compensate and help resettle the evicted families have yet to come true. Brenda Molina for VOA News, Nairobi. 
Read more on our top story by following our Twitter stream at VOA Asia. We're also on Facebook, VOA Asia, and the VOANews.com website. These are among the top Asia headlines you'll find right now on VOANews.com. Indonesia allows boat with 120 Rohingya refugees to land. How China snuffed out threats across Asia in 2021. China slams U.S. over space station's close encounters with SpaceX satellites. Immigrants welcome Afghan refugees inspired by own journeys. Taliban release head of private TV network. Find complete coverage on all these stories on Facebook at VOA Asia, Instagram, Twitter, and on the VOANews.com website. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday on VOA Asia. The war in Afghanistan was America's longest, spanning nearly 20 years. The U.S. in 2001 quickly toppled the Taliban government, who had harbored al-Qaeda terrorists responsible for the 9-11 terrorist attacks on America. But despite years of international support for Afghanistan, the war's final week saw a Taliban takeover, a chaotic U.S. withdrawal, and a massive terror attack that left nearly 200 people dead, including 13 U.S. service members. VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Babb reports. America's longest war finished. With al-Qaeda long diminished in Afghanistan, President Joe Biden told the Pentagon it was time to bring troops home. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby. The military had, in fact, done what it was sent to do in Afghanistan, which was prevent that place from ever being uh, a safe haven for a terrorist attack or a launching pad for a terrorist attack upon the homeland. America's military had hoped to leave its Afghan partners with a fighting chance against the Taliban. Instead, the Taliban rolled into Kabul in mid-August, creating panic as U.S. evacuations began at Hamid Karzai International Airport. There was a lot of chaos. There was a lot of confusion. I mean, the president of Afghanistan himself had just gotten on an airplane and flown out of the country, and nobody saw that one coming. Afghan forces, trained and equipped by the U.S.-led coalition for 20 years, fell in fewer than 20 days. Some of those forces pointed to a lack of food, ammunition, and air support. Local leaders in areas across the country quickly made deals with the Taliban, forcing others to surrender or flee. Thomas Jocelyn is the editor of the Foundation for Defense of Democracy's Long War Journal. Despite being at war for 20 years in Afghanistan, Nobody really knew anything. They didn't really understand. U.S. military leadership and, and political leadership didn't really understand who they were even fighting in Afghanistan, didn't understand the Taliban, didn't understand al-Qaeda, and didn't understand the relationship between those two. The U.S. helped evacuate 124,000 people in just a few weeks. But that effort was marred by an Islamic State terror attack that killed nearly 200 people, including 13 American service members. Days later... A U.S. drone strike the Pentagon says was meant to hit Islamic State attackers mistakenly killed 10 innocent civilians. Meanwhile, they won't let us go. They're casting us at their The evacuation left hundreds of American citizens and thousands of Afghan allies behind. Rights groups reported revenge killings of U.S. allies in the months that followed. And the Taliban takeover sparked an economic meltdown. 
Martin Griffiths is the UN Humanitarian Affairs Chief. The freefall of the economy is, been, is much more violent, severe and urgent than we feared. We thought we would manage to survive the winter with pure humanitarian assistance. We now know it's not enough. The UN says Islamic State Khorasan, once limited to small areas in Afghanistan, has now expanded to every province. And the UN says their attacks against the Taliban and civilians have increased fivefold this year. Speaking in an interview with Voice of America, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin vowed to use so-called over-the-horizon capabilities to continue to go after any terrorist in Afghanistan who plan to attack the United States. That's making sure that uh, that we we pay attention to the threats as they evolve. And we will remain focused on that with a laser focus. But the U.S. military now has only about 1 to 2 percent of the capabilities it once had to look into Afghanistan. That of U.S. Central Command told the Associated Press. That makes the counter-terror mission there even more difficult. Meanwhile, for Afghans, the future under Taliban rule remains uncertain. Zalmay Khalilzad, the former U.S. envoy to Afghanistan, spoke to VOA about the transition. There are mixed signals, some positive, some not. Uh, So we hope that it becomes all positive. The alternative is repetition of the past, which would be, uh, uh, you know, the suffering of the Afghan people, conflict, uh, interference uh, by outsiders in its affairs. The world is watching to see if the Taliban will govern effectively and respect human rights, and if terror groups will thrive there again as they plot to attack the West. Carla Bab, VOA News, the Pentagon. Still to come on VOA Asia, Chinese political asylum seekers resettling in the U.S. Happening now in Asia, vocal pro-democracy website Stand News was shut down Wednesday in Hong Kong after police raided its office and arrested six current and former editors in a continuing crackdown on dissent in the city. A senior police official insisted the arrests do not affect people's civil rights and freedom of publishing. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. VOA Asia continues. Political repression is prompting thousands of Chinese to seek asylum in countries outside of China, including the U.S. each year, claiming persecution or well-founded fear of persecution based on their race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or other factors. VOA's Michael Sullivan spoke with two immigrants from China who reached the United States by very different paths. Bugra Arkin owns a Uyghur restaurant in Los Angeles. He studied public policy in the United States and is an ethnic Uyghur Muslim from Xinjiang province, where more than one million Uyghur Muslims, including his father, a publisher, have been held in re-education camps. The United States and human rights groups call China's suppression of Uyghurs and their culture a genocide. In 2018, my father and my uncle, my cousin, and some other my friends, they disappeared, and then I heard they were taken to the concentration camp. But his family could get no information, and no Chinese lawyer would help. Now in Los Angeles, Arkeen was granted asylum in 2018. His wife, also a Uyghur, is a U.S.-trained lawyer who has joined the U.S. Air Force. Yet the couple received two frightening phone calls from a Chinese-speaking caller earlier this year. 
she's threatening me. She's threatening, uh, even that that's threatening my uh, two years old daughter. Uh, she's saying like, we are closely watching you. Uh, we will kill you. You will going to die. He was told to stay silent, but says he will not. Even this can uh, give me strength to speak up for my father and my Uyghur people. Another asylum applicant, Jie Li Jian, has also received threatening phone calls, saying China is watching him and insisting he keep quiet. In China, he was incarcerated repeatedly, burned with cigarettes, and suffered beatings that cost him several teeth. All vivid memories, says this political activist from Shandong province. He recalls two forced stays in psychiatric hospitals and torture in a police facility in 2009. When we arrived in a compound, they pushed my head into a big water tank. I think they've been through this kind of training. They won't let you die, but won't let you feel good. They make you suffer to where you feel like you're suffocating on the brink of death. Between 2015 and 2018, Jay took part in commemorations of the June 4th 1989 Tiananmen Massacre in China. Again, he was detained and tortured after re-entering the mainland. The Chinese government would torment its citizens using any method. If you are killed, then you are killed. If you are disabled, then you are disabled. If you accuse them of wrongdoing, they will continue to arrest you, and what's waiting for you is prison. It's a mental hospital. China denies mistreating those in custody, but human rights groups have documented the torture of criminal suspects and activists and mass incarceration of ethnic Uyghurs. Both men worry about the fate of their families in China, but say they feel compelled by their plights to speak out. Mike O'Sullivan, VOA News, Los Angeles. VOA Asia Facebook is the choice of millions to see and read the latest stories about Asia and the United States. Follow us on VOA Asia Facebook. VOA Asia is also on Twitter and YouTube. Subscribe to all of our platforms for free. See, hear, read, and share all the latest from VOA Asia anytime. VOA Asia is your trusted source for news, information, and great features. This news from VOA Asia. North Korea continued a major meeting Tuesday of its ruling Workers' Party, with leader Kim Jong-un setting policy for 2022 and highlighting rural development. Still photos released by state media showed Wednesday. All the big stories come your way through the day on VOA Asia Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. Welcome back to VOA Asia. The Biden administration came into office vowing America is back, with Secretary of State Antony Blinken pledging to work closely to boost ties with allies. But as VOA's Cindy Sane reports, unexpected crises, coups, and conflicts have also commanded the top U.S. diplomats' attention in 2021. Hopes were high among many American allies and observers around the world, as veteran diplomat Antony Blinken was sworn in as the 71st U.S. Secretary of State in January. It's a new day for America. It's a new day for the world. Speaking to State Department staff on his first day, Blinken set high expectations. The world is watching us intently right now. They want to know if we can heal our nation. They want to see whether we will lead with the power of our example, if we'll put a premium on diplomacy with our allies and partners, 
to meet the great challenges of our time, like the pandemic, climate change, the economic crisis, threats to democracies, fights for racial justice, and the danger to our security and global stability posed by our rivals and adversaries. But the promises in January were met by a hard reality on the ground. A February military coup in Myanmar, followed by a violent crackdown on tens of thousands of protesters, the July assassination of Haiti's president, and an October military coup in Sudan are just a few of the international crises the Biden administration has dealt with in 2021. Despite foreign challenges, analysts say U.S. President Joe Biden and his close confidant Blinken have been successful in their key goal, repairing what they see as critical relationships and alliances damaged by former President Donald Trump's America First worldview. Brian Katulas is vice president for policy at the Middle East Institute. By and large, I think they've um, been able to stick to their broader game plan um, from uh, having President Biden go to Europe in the spring and try to deepen partnerships and alliances with uh, our European democratic allies. And similarly, uh, in Asia as well, to try to rally uh, countries that were a little uncertain about where the United States was going. But analysts say America's chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan in August tested the Biden administration, along with France's angry response to a submarine deal between the U.S. and Australia. Michael Kimmage is with the German Marshall Fund. He spoke to VOA. The alliance with Europe has been repaired. There have been hiccups along the way, for sure. Afghanistan and the AUKUS submarine deal uh, are two pretty big hiccups, but uh, the alliance is functioning much better uh, than it used to. As 2022 approaches, China and other U.S. adversaries are watching to see how Biden and Blinken handle the massive Russian military buildup along Ukraine's border and whether the United States honors its commitments to the territorial integrity of its allies. Cindy Sane, VOA News. Making headlines in Asia, snow continued to fall Wednesday on the coast of the Sea of Japan, with ski resort town Miyoko in Nagata Prefecture recording 115 centimeters of snow, two times higher than usual during the winter season. Stay up to date with BOA. You're listening to BOA Asia. BOA Asia continues. Motorcycle taxis are common in major cities in Asia and Africa. So the ride-sharing company Uber has joined with the Swedish Kenyan electric vehicle group Opibus to deploy 3,000 electric motorcycles in Kenya and the region in 2022. Juma Majanga reports from Nairobi. Josphat Mutiso rides through the streets of Nairobi, navigating the roads with a passenger on his quiet, smokeless electric motorcycle. Just as in most cities across Africa, motorcycle taxi drivers are in almost every corner of Nairobi. Mutiso is among the first drivers here to make the switch from fossil fuel to electric motorcycles thanks to a partnership between Uber and Opibus. This is way efficient. It is even way easier to ride than the other one. You see, this one you don't have so many controls. You just have the throttle, no clutch. 
the only thing you are focusing on is just the front brake and the rear brake. That way it gives you even more control of the bike. Uh, and it is pretty light. Uh, it does not vibrate. So even clients like this one better. Motorcycle taxis have become increasingly common as public transportation in cities across Africa. Joyce Musuya is the Deputy Executive Director of UNEP, the UN Environment Programme. She notes that motorcycle taxis have become increasingly common as public transportation in cities across Africa. The number of newly registered motorcycles commonly used as taxis or border border was estimated in 2018 at 1.5 million and will likely grow five times million by 2030. Most are inefficient, poorly maintained and heavily polluting. UNEP studies show that border border drivers can more than double their income if they make the switch. In March, the UN Environment Programme launched the first electric bikes project in Kenya, creating the momentum for Africa's shift to electric mobility. The partnership between Uber and Opibus seeks to accelerate the shift across the world. There is a shift toward electric vehicles due to rising pollution and climate-damaging emissions from vehicles. Mutiso says he is earning more money now. Everything I used to earn and save for the bike, for the maintenance of the bike, right now I'm saving it. So right now I'm making more. Experts say that a global move to electric mobility is essential for the future and that drivers like Motiso will benefit. Juma Majanga for VOA News, Nairobi. Finally on VOA Asia, since an artist garnered $69 million earlier this year for digital artwork tied to blockchain technology, Artists and fans have taken an increasing interest in so-called non-fungible tokens. BOA's Tina Trin has more. The worlds of art and technology were on display at a recent show in New York City. I think the best and most talented artists have always looked to technology, to new formats, to be able to take their art to the next level. That includes turning digital art into non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, digital collectibles linked to blockchains encrypted distributed ledgers that validate their origins and authenticity. Liz Yang works at Definity, a nonprofit with its own blockchain network called the Internet Computer. Definity helps artists turn their works into NFTs, which are minted, traded, and sold on the platform. From a provenance perspective, you would know exactly like where the art originated from and where, where it's been sold like into perpetuity, essentially. That's important for digital art, which is typically easy to copy. Owners of NFTs hold the authorized original art in a digital wallet. In addition to giving digital artists more exposure, NFTs allow them to make money in different ways. There are a lot of cases where artists sell art at a time where they're not that famous. And then later on down the line in the secondary markets, the art sells for many, many multiples more, but they don't reap any of the rewards. Blockchain platforms use smart contracts that are programmed to execute transactions based on certain conditions. Because it's code, you can stipulate in the code that artists receive a percentage cut of every secondary market transaction thereafter. Critics say the buzz around NFTs make it a highly speculative market, and it remains to be seen whether the current movement is a bubble that will eventually burst. Still, artists like Neil White are excited for the new medium, it's pretty fun to kind of feel like I'm sort of making art 
in like more a more like futuristic form. And that future may well be filled with NFTs. Tina Trin, VOA News, New York. Read and see more on this story at VOA Asia Facebook. That's all the time we have for today's VOA Asia. Make sure you find us on all our social media platforms. Like us on Facebook VOA Asia. Follow us on Twitter at VOA Asia. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, and at VOANews.com. Thanks for joining us and thanks to our service chief, Diane Gao. Our VOA Asia team includes Jim Stevenson, Keith Lane, and Jessica Stone. I'm Chris Cascale in Washington. Enjoy the day, stay safe, and be well.